Welcome to The Business Extra. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, the National's Assistant Editor-in-Chief here in Abu Dhabi. And I'm very happy to say back with us is Kelsey Warner. Hi, Kelsey. I'm so happy to be here. Hi, Mustafa. Good to have you. It's good to be back from maternity leave. Hi, Daisy, if you're watching. <laughs> so for this episode, uh, we're going to be talking to Faris Rendour in a moment. He's a partner at Wamda Capital about the outlook for uh, tech startups, VCs and investors in the Middle East, North Africa region. Before we do that, if you like this show, please do subscribe. If you're on YouTube, ring that bell. Well, as I said, we're joined by Faris Rendour, part partner at Wamda Capital. Hi, Faris. Thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks so much for having me and welcome back, Kelsey. Thank you. Congratulations. So if I set the scene a little bit about where, at least from what I can see on the outside, the, the startup tech scene is in the region, is we had several years of sort of bonanza uh, we had huge transactions for this region anyway, with, for example, Amazon buying Souk um, and also uh, the Kareem Uber transaction. And we had a whole flush of investment from VCs both inside and outside the region going towards startups, uh, looking for innovation, looking to expand the tech scene, looking to solve all kinds of problems. And obviously, the UAE was a hotbed, but this applied across the region. Then in 2022, um, with inflation, um, with sort of wider issues um, economically around the world, uh, we saw that uh, the VC funding kind of slowed down, valuations came back to earth a little bit, and we saw a lot of job losses. Now, that doesn't just apply to this region, but around the world as well. But if we focus on this region, Faris, is that a fair assessment? I know a lot to unpack, but but how do you see it? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't look too much rosier on the on the inside. I'll tell you that. So, it's it's um, you know, I think what's coming is is a delayed uh, uh, COVID effect fundamentally. So, my prediction when we first had COVID uh, emerge in early 2020 was was that we would see a lot more write offs in 2020. What ended up happening is the exact opposite. There was mega funding rounds for the for the couple of years following that, and I think what's happening now is just a delayed onset of, of that happening. So, the trickle down of of financing globally uh, towards venture capital that's been happening effectively for the past fifteen years or so has happened to the MENA region in the past couple of years. And I think now uh, there's just so much dry powder and assets under management in the VC space in the region. But eventually, we are. It is going to catch up to us, and it has already started doing that. You already have some some major write-offs, and 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 I'd say I don't want to call them tertiary markets. They are primary markets, but not as, you know, more more developing markets like Egypt and Pakistan. You're going to start seeing a bit more in Saudi and and the UAE, uh, unfortunately. But but that is a normal part of of a cycle, and this is very much the beginning of uh, of of what I think is going to be a fairly uh, deep and long. Um, you know, slow down in, in VC financing for the next couple of years. One of the biggest names in in this cycle that Mustafa, you did a really good job of kind of getting your arms around there. But we didn't we didn't mention SPACs. We didn't mention uh, you know IPOs as as part of the theme of kind of the 2020 frenzy that we were in. And Swivel, I think, was probably one of the bigger names in terms of the what seemed like going to be a success story coming out of that 2020 um, euphoria, maybe, and has since, okay, it went public on the NASDAQ back in March at a $1.5 billion valuation and is now in the midst of a second round of job cuts and a big major strategic overhaul. Um, what, what lessons can we learn from Swivel and what it, what, how does it illustrate kind of the moment we're in? 
Yeah, yeah. I think I think swivel is one. I think another that comes to mind is, is probably Jumia as well in Africa, maybe Angami to some extent. So you know, those are companies that really took advantage of, of, of 2020, 2021 in terms of liquidity, even 2022 to some extent to to you know effectively take advantage of 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 a public stage that is in the form of a you know of of the, the capital markets in the US. And I think what's happening there is just catching, you know, fundamentals catching up to companies. This is not unique to the MENA region, right? So if, if you look across the board, especially in tech and especially in emerging markets, companies that just do not have, you know, healthy free cash flow or, or healthy cash flow in general, um, you know, healthy operating structures, you know, good margins, overnight the name of the game flipped from being a growth game entirely to being a cash flow game almost entirely as well. And so some of those inflated multiples that that were very much just a couple of years, uh, you know, just with a couple of years justification are, are now just just gone. So um, the lesson there is, is, is always stick to fundamentals, really. I mean, it's as, as simple as that. I've been investing in the region for about eight years now. And I tell you, I haven't, I haven't been through a cycle like this uh, yet, frankly. So I don't know, you know, what companies are going to be valued based on and, and what sort of multiples are going to be out there. But I do know that good companies with with healthy margins and healthy cash flows will always do well. Um, so you know, you have some very big names that 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 I that I pose out there that that you know have have very healthy margins, very healthy cash flows, very healthy profitability of you know the Uniphonics, the Sellas out of Saudi, you know, Foodix, Sijahes, which went public and 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 others uh, uh that really are are now becoming you know playing across the entire region that that just you know this is this is noise to them. Uh and, and this is this is an opportunity for them to consolidate to acquire businesses that aren't doing as well, maybe for the talent or for the tech and, and really consolidate. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, um, it's not the rosiest of times fundamentally for, for some, you know, most businesses here. I'd like to know when that moment was, and maybe it wasn't just one moment, but it was a, a period of time when the, the kind of priority went from growth to, I guess, for want of a better word, profitability. Because there was a time yeah. when, as long as you were collecting users, didn't really matter what your margins were. It was the Uber CEO's email, wasn't it? Which CEO? The Uber CEO's email that went out Dara? to all employees. Yeah, to Dara. Um, went out yeah. to all employees that said, you know, we're, we're laser focused on profitability now. And that was one of the first CEO emails, kind of internal documents that went public. I was still around. So it was around May of last year. When was it? But I, I think of that as sort of one of the inciting incidents of this whole pearl clutching thing we're now in. Yeah, I think um, I mean what's very telling about about the about Uber specifically is, is they managed to actually bring in profit, <laughs> so despite you know despite all all the hate they actually they, they are one of the profitable ones. I I, I think that the 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 moment. Um, Honestly, I think it really depends on the type of investor you speak with. So if you look at the likes of, you know, Union Square Ventures out of uh, out of the New England area, they were always kind of on the fence when it came to the past couple of years. And they were always sort of a litmus test for me to some extent versus the sort of Andreessen Horowitz, which were going for kind of mega rounds or mega funds or, or the Tigers who were going, you know, all in on growth. I think it's not a question of this or that. I think it's a question of how healthy the revenues are. 
and you know how much client retention you have and what's your lifetime value and and i think those you know those have always genuinely been what drove valuations regardless of stage and i think more that came back uh, a lot more to the forefront in in 2022 like i I'd, I'd say mid 2022 is is the moment when when that you know that that became the case i think tiger being the most sensational investor in the past couple of years also being the most sensational you know drawdown from all time highs in terms of you know how much you know how much aum is is a very clear indicator and i know they were sort of ready to write a couple of very big checks in the region and and that just never went through and i think that has a very quick cascading effect down because you have to understand that in the mina region most of the financing you are seeing is relatively new and most funds that have been investing haven't even gone through a full cycle i mean there's just barely a few maybe you know a couple of funds maybe becco maybe mevp uh, you know wamda's first fund are in year 7 or 8 uh, which is in harvest mode now but really no one's actually been through the full cycle of like yes you know 12 years exit you know give you your money back let's go home you know next onto the next fund for somebody who's not you know steeped in this vc culture can you actually walk us through what what this fund cycle actually means what is what is harvesting yeah so there's two periods in a fund there's the deployment period which is usually the first 5 years but more typically in bull markets it's a bit hotter it's usually the first 3 years and then you have what's known as the harvest period which is 5 to 7 years of just kind of just basically realizing exits and paying your investors, your limited partners back their money. So, uh, and, and a VC cycle is that full cycle, right? It's from day zero all the way to you going in through year 10 or 12 and returning everyone's money back, all the LPs money, money, LPs money back. No one's been through that full cycle in the MENA region yet, to my knowledge, at least. No, none of the majors. So most of the money you were seeing, most of the AUM you're seeing is all new. Most of the GPs are new. Most of the fund managers are relatively new. So, um, you know, it's it's to be determined how they, you know, it's not just about the startup surviving. Some, to some extent, it's about the GPs surviving, the funds themselves surviving. You have, you know, 50 plus fund managers in the region. You know, how many of those will actually continue to be around for the next fund cycle? You know, how many of those will actually be written off? Like just, you know, not even return their LP money back. So, um, and this is where the resilience of both the founders and the money managers will end up. And and and, and of course, it, it really is, I want to reiterate that this is normal. Like these cycles are very normal, uh, but the severity is, is to be determined. Uh, the markets that don't have sovereigns or sovereign wealth funds will probably feel or have already started feeling the blow, like again, Pakistan, to some extent, Turkey, uh, uh, Egypt, of course, with high inflation, you've already seen these big write-offs, you know, like Capitur, you know, you talk about Swivel being where it's at, countries like the UAE and and, and Saudi, maybe a little bit of, an, of a delayed onset because they're just a bit more cushioning there. And a lot of the money has been, especially in Saudi, effectively sovereign wealth fund driven financing. I mean, there's, there's really mostly you know, most of the money came from them, but, but I mean, it, you know, no one's, no, this is a globalized world. No one can survive, you know, no one country, especially not in the region can survive being in a global recession, you know, without that country being, being in a recession itself or without some form of a, of some form of, of a trickle down there. So, so I see that happening. Having said that, I mean, the caliber of founders that come out now that, that's that's when you that's the time to build. Like this is the time to found the business. This is the time where serious founders are separated from from the founders who are just there for the easy money. You know these these you know if you if you speak about any business, if you talk about you know 
you know the Uber, the, the you know the Ubers, the 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 sorry the Kareems, the Souks, uh, you know InstaShop, any of these other businesses, Jahaz, Unifund. These were all founded at, in times when there was you know there was just it was back back in the day. You know these are the OG type companies where there really wasn't that much financing. So I'd look to the companies that are going to be founded in 23, 24. And, and, you know, add, you know, seven, 10 years down the line and then be like, you know, those were the companies that were the, you know, the most resilient founders, the most determined, passionate founders and early employees, you know, came out rather than looking at vintages of 2022, 2022 as, as a success story. Well, so this is the part where we get to make it about you then, because you are the founder and CEO of a startup that was founded in the 20 to 22 uh Timeline, yes, were, were you not Tahoon, the yes. health tech yeah, startup? Yeah. So can you talk to us a bit about that decision and, and where you're at? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I do love investing. I do continue to invest. Uh, but, you know, being around, I think we've done over 125 deals over the past eight, past eight years, maybe a bit more. Being around so many founders with so much passion, uh, you know, kind of drove me to to say, you know, this this is, you know, I, I want to be in build mode. I want to learn. I want to pick up some skill sets. And I decided that the, the 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 area I'm most passionate about is is the mental health space, and you know for personal reasons, primarily because I suffered from a bout of very severe panic attacks about uh, ten years ago, starting senior year in, of college, all the way through now. Effective, I mean they're not as severe now, and they're very rare and 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 really sporadic. But but. But, you know, I, I do understand how difficult it is to get to the point where, you know, you need to take care of your own mental health. So I decided to to found a business in that space. And, and commercially, it made a lot of sense. You know, you started to have unicorns in the space emerging, uh, you know, the Calms, the Headspaces, the Lyra's, Spring House in the U.S. Mental health has been the most financed subsector of digital healthcare globally for the past six years. So this is pre-COVID. Uh, depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide above any other cause of disability, physical or otherwise, where one in three suffer from some form of a diagnosable disorder at some point in their life. So it's a big elephant in the room that really needs to be addressed. One in four Saudis, uh, which is our, our target market right now, is, is, is struggling with some form of mental, struggles with some form of mental health condition at some point in their life. So these are big, big challenges that, you know, that we need to start looking at beyond looking at, you know, your typical e-commerce marketplaces, that sort of a thing, taking it to the next level and really finding ways where you can build, build up tools and technology that, that can enable, you know, solutions to some of these these mega problems. So, so that's what I've been focused on. It's a totally different journey. Thankfully, I have had access to a decent amount of financing, both from Wombla and otherwise to do this. But, you know, it is a long-term play, of course. There's no doubt. I'm doing it with uh, with a lovely team. I have two great co-founders with me, a Kuwaiti clinical psychologist and a, a Moroccan product and, and, and growth manager. But we have we have a very solid team where, you know, we're a team of 12 and, and are, are pressing through and and you know we're we're a hybrid online in-person clinics uh, business as well. So we are launching our first clinic in Dubai, hopefully at the end of this month. But also getting you know the intent of getting to twenty-five clinics in the region in the next four years. We have an app that is a self-help app. It's very similar to Calmer Headspace, but in the Arabic language, which is you know the first of its kind. And we're very excited to be you know where we are today. So I continue to to play both cards honestly and and I've just learned so much from the founder business uh, for you know for, from the investor hat but now it's time for me to build. And and in terms of trends uh, on the investment side I know I know you wanted me to get to that to some extent. I think what excites me personally most 
for the next five to 10 years are three main areas. I think education, uh, healthcare, and financial, financial technology. FinTech has already had, is, is already having kind of its hype cycle now. So you see so much financing going towards FinTech. I think that will continue to be the case. Uh, but the next big mega industries that I think need to be disrupted are healthcare. And I'm doing my part through Tuhun, but also through financing and also education. I think those are very large addressable markets that, that I'd keep an eye out. Of course, as I would, you know, media content, I think those are very interesting spaces and, and retail as well. But but the less the less obvious ones and the ones that need a lot more financing to disrupt are edtech, fintech, and health tech, I think. So you mentioned OGs. And I think the, the OG of, of this region and this space is your father, Badi Khandur. Yeah. So yeah. you are the first of the second generation of founders to found their own business, which in your own way means that you're kind of trailblazing a culture for what that looks like. And bigger picture, I feel like 10 years ago, everyone wanted to model themselves on Silicon Valley. But perhaps mm -hmm. no, one, no one wants to be Silicon Valley anymore. Everyone wants to leave Silicon Valley. The culture there is kind of eating itself a little bit. Um, and the, you know, the growth story has kind of come to the end of a cycle. So for you, given this vantage point, two generations, Wamda Capital, you've seen a lot of businesses, you yourself are a founder. What, what does the culture look like in the region for, for startups now going forward? What, 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 yeah. what, it, what does it feel like? Are you like Silicon Valley light or are you something else? Yeah, I think that's a very, very interesting question. My, my view is one of the biggest mistakes that our ecosystem has done is we've taken a sliver of what is a large a part of a large part of an, of an ecosystem and adapted it to the region. That is the venture financing sliver, right? An ecosystem by definition is holistic. It, in, it incorporates everything from, you know, Water, rain, soil, every, you need everything in an ecosystem. You also need, you know, the death and you need healthy death and you need sort of for that to, to, to breathe life all over again. I think the problem, you know, the, the, the challenge I see with the region is we've just kind of replicated the VC model in the valley without replicating all the other components. The other components obviously being large market, you know, 350 million Americans. It's the largest economy in the world. They have the U.S. dollar and they have exits. You know, they have a mature private equity uh, ecosystem. They have access to leverage. They have access to capital markets when they want to go public. So VC makes sense within that ecosystem. I think for our ecosystem, um, it makes sense. You know, VC. I'm, I'm. I'm. I'm not sort of saying that VC financing is is not um, is not a critical component of an ecosystem. But I'm saying it's a component of a much larger ecosystem. And I think for our ecosystem to mature continues to be the case that we need the other end of the cycle to complete the ecosystem. And that is, you know, healthy regional businesses acquiring, not just global businesses coming in. We need healthy capital markets that allow, you know, have, you know, updated liquidity laws and, and foreign ownership laws and, and whatnot to, to allow for, you know, these companies to go public. You need a lot more private equity. And unfortunately, you know, with a few big, big blows that, that happen in the region, that's, that's virtually non-existent now. And and you need you know you need that end of the cycle to be complete regionally for us to have our own healthy ecosystem. And I think, as a founder, I keep that in mind. And I and and I I I build now assuming that my exit is not going to come from a foreign player because of you know global trends you're seeing. Uh, you know the first markets 
global businesses pull back from or the markets that that are you know that are nice to have and for most global businesses the MENA region is a nice to have right especially tech businesses they want to focus on profitable markets they want to focus on china they want to focus on southeast asia maybe focus on europe focus on the us focus on latam maybe africa and then focus on mena so so i'd say you know for us to be a resilient ecosystem we have to build for ourselves and build assuming that our exits are going to come from the region so as a founder i'd, I'd say I, i try to keep that in mind as much as i can thinking that you know this this not is you know it's not a move fast and break things you know it's an ecosystem don't don't do that right like move fast yes just don't break as many things to, you know but keep in mind that you know you know you won't have as much access to financing as you have had the past two or three years uh, you know be a bit more frugal you know build you know build good relations with your talent uh, you know hire hire the right people who who can absorb that and and it's really in these these times of crisis i would say where the best teams emerge where you know where the battle wounds you know emerge and, and the next you know bull market let's call it or the next cycle uh, you know breeds you know the, it, it's the bear market that breeds the winners it's not bull markets that breed the winners that's that's what i'm trying to say i guess so it's a time to build it's a time to find talent it's a time to you know there's plenty of great talent on the market now Uh, fortunately for startups that are well financed unfortunately for the talent of course you know last year i i, I got i got so many cvs i i honestly get people placed within two weeks at either one of our portfolio comes someone new network now i'm getting primo talent and i'm like you know honestly it's it's going to be very tough you know I'd, i'd consider launching a business and there's a lot of financing right people people still have a lot of dry powder i'd say there's like at least a billion dollars of dry powder in the region ready to be deployed over the next three four years you know go raise money you know go go build a business it's the time to do it it's it's you know it's that that's my view on 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 things i hope that answers it's it's a long long way to get to an answer <laughs> faris rendour wam the capital thanks so much for being with us today thank you so much for having me kelsey thank you thank you good to be back and all that remains is to thank our production team and you all for being with us do join us again next time <laughs>